their seats relatively quiet, so I guess that's a signal to stop. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our continued study of Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, we'll be picking up our study in Romans chapter 11, but before we turn there, let me uh, open our time together in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do thank you for your uh, redeeming love uh, displayed for us uh, most profoundly uh, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, that by his death, he uh, died once and for all for our sin. And by his uh, resurrection, uh, he has uh, gained eternal life for us. And we thank you for this salvation that comes um, not on um, the basis of anything that we've done, but is your pure gift, your grace to us, uh, a grace that excludes our works, but is um, a grace that produces this gratitude and, and works uh, to serve you in response to what you've done for us. We thank you uh, for the Apostle Paul, um, that though he was uh, an Israelite, um, the tribe of Benjamin, a descendant of Abraham, that uh, you sent him and he went uh, to the Gentiles, that he um, uh, preached the gospel far and wide um, to a people who, as we saw a couple weeks ago, were not a people uh, until you, um, as we'll see today, grafted them in. So we thank you um, for Paul and for uh, the good news of Jesus Christ that he proclaimed. And we ask that you would open our eyes and ears to, to see and hear that good news in your word today. May your Holy Spirit that uh, gave Paul these words uh, be the same spirit that teaches us this morning. Guide us into all uh, truth concerning Jesus Christ and salvation in him. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, so as you turn to Romans chapter 11, let me just brief you, briefly recap uh, where we are for the, uh, in the book. Um, both for those who are joining us uh, and for those who've been here. So in Romans chapter 11, uh, we're bringing to an end a three-chapter section that began, began back in chapter 9. Um, and the, the unifying um, element of these three chapters is Paul's concern for Israel. Um, and it, it started in, in 9, not just a personal concern for um, his own nation, but a concern for the, for the gospel message itself, and it's true, because God made lots of promises to Israel. And so, um, as he said in, in chapter 9, verse 6, but it is the, not as though the word of God has failed. So Paul uh, goes on to, to wrestle uh, with this question in these three chapters over the, um, uh, particularly over the issue of a lack of response uh, of Israel to the coming of the promised Messiah. And in chapter 9, um, in answering this question, uh, the first answer he gives is not all Israel belongs to, to spiritual Israel. Um, and then it's not only Israel belongs to spiritual in, uh, Israel. The Gentiles are grafted in as well. In chapter 10, Paul flipped from the God's um, view of election and turned more toward the response and what makes a person a, a member of the people of God, it's responding to God in faith. Um, a, a, 
as he says in chapter 10, verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in the second half of, of chapter 10, Paul exposes how um, the problem is uh, Israel, who had received the promises, who were in a better position to receive the Christ, instead uh, of responding in faith, have responded in, in stubbornness and have, have, have chosen to cling to a righteousness of their own that comes through the law rather than trusting, having faith, and a righteousness that comes through faith, uh, through Christ. So, um, and he, he ended chapter 10 um, with this um, you know, quote from the prophets, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So chapter 10 kind of leads, leaves us with that image of God um, holding out his hands to a, a people who are disobedient and um, rebelling against him. So that sets the stage for Romans chapter 11. I'll read the entirety of the chapter. Um, I, I've kind of uh, given us two weeks to go through it, so in my planning, so we, we won't make it uh, by design, we won't make it through the entirety of chapter 11. I'm hoping we can get to verse 24, because as you'll see, um, the chapter kind of splits into three sections uh, as the ESV uh, blocks it out. Um, and the first two sections are, are organized around similar questions, questions, these rhetorical questions that Paul emphatically answers no, as we've seen multiple times in the book, Paul using this rhetorical device. Um, so with that as a word of introduction, uh, let me read for us God's word from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their future means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, 
in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even then, if they do not continue in their unbelief, even then, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Thus far, the readings of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. All right, so Paul ended chapter 10 with these multiple scriptures demonstrating Israel's obduracy and stubborn refusal to believe. So what false implication of that prior message is he trying to correct in chapter 11, particularly in verses 1 through 11? Uh, in, in what way were it righteousness? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so he, he wants to kind of correct that there, uh, there's another uh, um, pathway by works. Nope. <laughs> and that God isn't rewarding, again, the emphasis throughout the book is that it's a righteousness that comes through faith, not a righteousness of our own, not a righteousness that comes from the works of the law. Because all have sinned, all have fallen sh short of the glory of God. Jew and Gentile alike both stand condemned in God's presence, and the only way they can be reconciled is through faith in Christ and the reconciliation he brings. Tim, you had your hand up. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and again, it's the emphasis is on all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. And, and when he's getting into chapter 11, he's, he's starting to address um, a problem that seems to be arising in the Roman church of it's, it's Gentiles or Jews, that the, the Jews were the people of God and God has rejected them and, and we're now in. So too bad for them, like you know, yay Gentiles. And so he's addressing that, that misconception that the inclusion of the Gentiles means the complete and total rejection of Israel. And, and so that's why, has God rejected his people? By no means. And like, by no means, it's like, that's the most um, severe negative <laughs> the Greek author says. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Smacking his head, no. Like, so, so the, the emphasis here is, is that God has not rejected his people. And so, as, and as we think of these, these two rhetorical questions, um, the first one, you know, has God rejected his people, seems to be asking, can any Jew be saved? Um, and then the second one, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? The, the question means, can any more Jews be saved? So, so, and the answer to the first is the emphasis on the remnant, and the uh, emphasis on the second is an emphasis on how that remnant is the promise of a future hope of fulfillment. Good. So, as Paul goes on to try to correct this, this um, false uh, um, assertion that, well, God has rejected the Jews, how does he answer that question? What, what, what's his logic, what's his evidence to say, you know, to, again, come to this, um, you know, uh, emphatic no. <laughs> so what, what stands behind the emphatic no, by no means, uh, no way, not on your life. <laughs> yeah, Bill. Yeah, he goes to this great passage in Kings that, that Paul finds really reminiscent um, or, uh, you know, really related to his situation, like, you know, as a Jewish man. And he starts by establishing, like, his credentials. You know, I myself am an Israelite, uh, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Like, 
you know, he, you can imagine Paul sometimes felt like the, the lone Jew in a Gentile church. Um, and he's saying, like, just like Elijah in, in Kings, you know, has this idea, and, and, and notice how it's Elijah appeals to God against Israel. Like, he thinks he's the only one. Like, and he's condemning Israel. Lord, they, Israel, have killed your prophets. They've demolished uh, your, your altars. I alone am left, and they seek my life. Like, um, you know, and, and Paul's like putting himself in Elijah's stance there, a stance of like despairing for the future of his people because I'm it, and once I'm gone, it's over. And, and, and God's answer to Elijah is, but what's God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to, to, to Baal. So the, you know, the reply is that there is always a remnant. And whereas Paul earlier used the remnant as kind of a, a negative concept in chapter 9, here he's using remnant as a, a kind of positive, like, you know, this is through this God being faithful through his promises, by God through his grace preserving a remnant, it becomes the, you know, the seeds for future blessing. So just like, a, you know, a farmer holds back a remnant of his seed to, to plant his crop the next year, it's that idea, like, rather than consuming it all, that he's preserved a remnant, and through that remnant will come this hope of a future blessing. Good. What else um, strikes you about Paul's um, answer to this this question of uh, yeah, Matt? for how he's describing himself here and how he's describing himself, how he will describe himself in Philippians chapter 3. And in chapter 3, he reminds us even, like, as for zeal, a persecutor of the church. Like, you know, so, like, he was as rebellious and obdurate a Jew as the Jews now. And if God can turn him around, like, again, it's like, look, I'm... I'm exhibit A. <laughs> um, no, God hasn't rejected his people. I'm part of that people standing before you. And, um, and just as, uh, you know, God comforted Elijah with this idea that, oh, look, there's, there's a remnant. There's 7,000 people out there who haven't bowed the knee to, to the false God that remain true. So too, Paul is saying, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by his grace. Mike, you were going to say something? Yeah, and he still has this 
this heart for Israel, as we'll see as we get into to verses 11 through 24, like he actually sees his, his mission to the Gentiles as ultimately for the good and benefit of the Jews. That, you know, um, it's kind of, he, he has this three-stage kind of view of, you know, it's, it's through, the, through the Jews that the Redeemer has come and all the promises were given to the patriarchs and through them is the root of the faith. And then there's this middle stage where it goes from them to the Gentiles and there's this enormous fruitfulness even while Israel at that time is rejecting God's gift. But that the hope is that it's through their jealousy of the Gentiles there'll be this third stage where those people will be grafted back in. Um, the, you know, so, you know, it's this, this beautiful picture of how he sees the gospel, like, you know, that their, their rejection now is, um, is for the benefit, not just of the Gentiles, and it is for the benefit of the Gentiles, he says that, um, but it will also be to the benefit of the Jews and for their salvation, that through the gospel going from Jews to Gentiles, it will come back to Jews. I mean, as we as we'll see later in the chapter, like especially, um, you know, um, there's a lot of eschatological eschatological language, you know, language about the end times toward the end of this chapter. So it seems to be like at at some future date there will be this, um, you know, a response that is partial hardening now will. You know, it's partial hardening. It's not complete hardening, and that um, that God still has the intention of bringing about blessings on His people. And, and again, this is like, uh, even though he's talking about Jews here, like, uh, you know, as for us to, to also, like, and we do this as a church, like, we support Christian Witness Israel, for example. Like, you know, we, we need to not assume that those people who've rejected God are so hardened that, that God's grace can't work on them. And that's not just true for Jews. That's for anybody that in, in your life that you have relationships on, or relationships with that 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 you know that seem to be so hardened and inured to the gospel that again it's because of God's grace it's not because of them um, but it's because of God's grace can go in and soften the hardest heart and again Paul is the great example of this like you know he wasn't seeking Jesus <laughs> he was seeking to kill the followers of Jesus like. Um, and, and Jesus, you know, um, found Saul when Saul wasn't looking um, for Jesus. Uh, and, and that's the, this idea, like, the, 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 the obduracy now isn't, um, isn't the final word. Like, and in verses 1 through 11, 
The obduracy isn't complete because Paul himself is a Jew standing in front, uh, you know, and addressing um, Jewish and Gentile Christians. So he, he, he's saying, look, we, we see there's a remnant now of Israel in the church. And then he's going to turn in the second half, like, but it is not final. Like, you know, they haven't just been, well, it was through the Jews the Gentiles could come in and they filled their part and now it's over. Like, um, uh, Dana um, uh, used to, to, like, she got me once um, this, this set of uh, note cards from a, this company called Demotivators. Have you, have you ever seen these? So they, it's this like funny take on um, motivational posters that like companies hang on their office walls. And I remember one of them was a picture of, a, is it the Queen Mary that's shipwrecked at the entrance to, I, I can never remember if it's Hong Kong or Singapore. Like, so as you're entering the harbor, you're passing by the wreckage <laughs> of the ship and um, the demotivation. Um, uh, I can't remember what the uh, category was, but I remember the caption was, your life might serve. <laughs> the purpose of your life might be to serve as a warning for others. Like, um, so it's not that I, like, I've shipwrecked them just to save the Gentiles. No, it's, it's you know, they've stumbled, but, you know, they, I, they haven't stumbled in order that they fall and that's it. They, they've stumbled in order that through their stumbling, the Gentiles can be reached. And through the Gentiles being reached, the, the, Paul's hope is that somehow, <laughs> and I, I love the indefiniteness <laughs> of Paul's language, because it's not left to him to figure out, like solve some kind of problem, like how do I, I get this? No, it's an expression, somehow it's an expression of trust there. Like God has a purpose. God has made promises. God will fulfill those. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how the current rejection of Israel, it's benefited the Gentiles. Um, how's that going to come back and benefit the Jews? I don't know. But somehow, uh, you know, I, I'm going to keep preaching to the, to the Gentiles in order that the Jews might be saved as well. Like it's kind of counterintuitive for that. But, but that's the kind of um, uh, understanding that Paul has here. Um, so, yes, Tim. Yeah, and with that, even though um, it is presented to us as as two quotes, it's actually three. <laughs> um, so the the first quote there in, in verse eight um, is a, a, an amalgam of Deuteronomy uh, twenty nine and Isaiah. Is it really Isaiah twenty nine too? Is that right there, Sam? Yeah, it is. So he's kind of taken part of Deuteronomy twenty nine and part of um, Isaiah 29, and so we've got law, we've got prophets, we've got writing. So, yeah, not only is he presenting scriptures, he's presenting scriptures from each of the three basic divisions 
of, of the Jewish scriptures, the law, the prophets, the writings. Um, and he's, so he's, he's dipping into all three to, I think, exactly make your point, Tim, that like to, to, to drive this home, again, not in a, um, not in a condemning way, but like, again, like, like can't you see? <laughs> like, this is what God was talking about when he said, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day that it's, um, and then uh, this quote from Psalm 69, which is um, the church interprets as a, um, uh, a messianic psalm. Um, Matthew uses this psalm, puts these words in, in Christ's mouth. Let their table be a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs um, forever. So um, Paul's taking David's statement regarding his enemies to apply to those who resist the message of Christ. Um, what David prayed would happen to his persecutors, Paul suggests, God has brought, brought upon the Jews who have resisted his gospel. You know, these implications that David's calling down, those are the implications called down upon those who have rejected um, the Messiah. Good, anything else we want to say on verses 1 through 11 before we... Um, again, uh, to go back to um, what, what, what Charlie emphasized, like uh, the, the, emphasis, the emphasis is, is that it's, the remnant is preserved not because they are the remnant. <laughs> well, I need to keep some. No, they're saved through the same mechanism. It's, it's not because of anything they've done. It's because of God's electing grace. His sovereign grace is what has preserved this remnant. And again, the remnant is, is a, a hopeful thing here. It's not just a, um, a parsimonious uh, well, I saved what I could save. It's the remnant is more um, the, the hope of future prosperity and blessing. Um, uh, if you think back, for those of you who were here when we studied Isaiah together, like um, Isaiah describes the remnant as not as a small, like <laughs> the return of the remnant is like more, you know, multitudes more are coming back than were left. It's more that loaves and fishes kind of idea of remnant. Um, the leftovers are, are, you know, filling baskets. What, when we started with five loaves and two measly fish, and we're getting this bountiful return that hasn't just fed, you know, a multitude of people, but there's this leftovers. That's the kind of remnant. When you think remnant, that's the way you need to be thinking in terms of, you know, when, when God preserves a remnant, it's an astounding <laughs> um, beautiful thing. It's not just like, you know, um, uh, you know, like I knock a thing of dishes over and I'm trying to save whichever ones I can and I, you know, get a random saucer and a random teacup and the rest is shattered. That's not that kind of, of remnant. When God preserves a remnant, it's, it's again, by his grace, it's his good gift to his people, undeserved, it's not on the basis of works, because then works negates grace, um, he's saying here. I, I know you spoke into that, that verse, that verse, that verse 10, 
It's all connected. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, and like that's why this chapter ends with this beautiful um, doxology. Like he, he breaks out in praise, um, you know, at the end of this chapter because it and, and the focus here is on God's grace that that you know a people who are stubborn and disobedient um, and who have turned their, their backs against God um, and therefore are totally, um, God's totally right in exercising complete judgment. Um, but through their disobedience, it's, it's giving God an opportunity to demonstrate his glorious mercy, um, his goodness, his grace, his love. Like, you know, so as we think of redemptive history, like, you know, like, that's the, the message. Like we read the Old Testament. That should be the message of redemptive history is that God, you know, through repeated disobedience of these people, continued to be faithful to his promises. Um, not one of them is, is failing. And that should be the hope and encouragement for us. Like that his, his mercy is sure. His promise is sure. We can... When we get like Paul or like Elijah like, and start looking at, uh, get despondent at like what we think is the reality, um, we have to rem remind ourselves our perception of reality is limited by what, you know, my field of vision, which isn't very big. <laughs> like if you're over here, <laughs> there's a reason I can't hit a baseball. Um, you know, uh, you know, our, our field of vision is limited. But when we step back and, and, and God gives us these opportunities to see how he's working, like we see that where we move from an Elijah who thinks he's all by himself to there are 7,000 uh, who haven't bowed the knee. And through them, you know, I can raise up thousands and thousands of more. Okay, good. Well, let's shift to the second one. So if the first question, you know, has God rejected his people? By no means. Um, so his second question um, in, in verse 11, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. So what, what, so if their purpose of Israel stumbling wasn't so that they would fall, like, you know, kind of think like, like, they've stumbled over Christ. <laughs> um, you know, uh, he's the stumbling stone that we saw back at the end of chapter 9. He's the stumbling stone that Paul presents in um, 1 Corinthians 1. Like, so they've stumbled. 
was their stumbling over, you know, it, and, and Paul's saying, again, with this emphatic negative, they didn't stumble just so they'd fall. What was the purpose of their stumbling then? So if it wasn't so that they would fall, by no means was it that they would fall, what was the purpose of their stumbling? How does Paul answer his question? Yeah, so, so first of all, you know, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So first, it's through their rejection, um, the gospel has, has gone to the Gentiles. Um, and, and Matthew alluded to this earlier, how, you know, again, as we saw in Acts, Paul's repeated practice was go to the synagogue first. And he preached to, to the Jewish population in, in the various towns um, of the Jewish diaspora throughout the uh, Near Eastern and Mediterranean world. He'd start there. And it's when they rejected him that he would go out to the Gentiles. So it's sort of like through their rejection, Paul's message actually reached a broader, um, more inclusive audience. And so, um, so as we think about this, like their rejection actually helps broadcast the message of Christ beyond it. So it, it becomes not just a, a Jewish revival, um, but it becomes, you know, you know again, this, this, the church, this gospel kingdom that includes Jew and Gentile alike. So it, it's by their stumbling, part of the purpose is for the expansion of God's people to bring in this, this you know, great abundance of response among the Gentiles that Paul experienced in his ministry and was seen in the church of his day. Good. So part of the answer is for the purpose of restoring or uh, grafting in Gentiles. What else or why else has, has, have they fallen? Or what else does their rejection mean? Yeah, Matt. Yeah, to make them, to make them jealous. Um, and we saw this, like, um, I, I, I restored my Bible to myself this week. Um, I did not leave it at home. So, like, you can, like, it's almost, it, I, I love how sometimes, this doesn't always happen, like, sometimes my arrows making connections go up and down pages. But if you have the ESV, just look across to, to, the, to chapter 10. Paul is quoting uh, but I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So he, you know, he established this idea that the gospel will be extended to the Gentiles and you will become jealous. Moses said that. And, and Paul is, is saying, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What, what's their stumbling? Their stumbling is in order that the Jews... Israel might become jealous. Like, and again, kind of think of that idea. Like, um, I mean, think of any kid, like, that, like, you know, especially, or children, when you have multiple children in a group. I used to work for a uh, um, uh, after school care thing, and, like, 
you know, somebody can be playing with something and then set it aside and turn to something else. But as soon as some other child comes and picks that toy up, hey, wait, no. <laughs> like, it's that idea. Like, they've discarded it. They didn't want it anymore until, like, someone else picks it up. And then suddenly, oh, I, I like that toy. Like, you know, it's that, that idea of, well, oh, like, that's how those promises are, are coming to fruition. Um, that's the hope that was prophesied. Those are the promises that should belong to us. I think that's the kind of logic there of, of this jealous idea that by seeing the gospel um, as, as prophesied in, again, the, the prophets, or the law, the prophets, the writings, seeing all those truths come to fruition in Christ and they're rejecting Christ, Paul's hope is as they see that, that gospel bear fruit, as they see those promises um, come to fruition right before their eyes, that they will be provoked to jealousy and want to return to this, this Messiah who they've rejected. So um, again, it's this, this beautiful picture. And, and you see the picture, um, it comes up in multiple ways. Um, you know, in verses 11 and, and 12, like, through the trespass of Israel, we get salvation for the Gentiles, which will lead to um, this idea of fullness or full inclusion. So trespass, trespass of Israel, salvation for Gentiles, and the end result or the, you know, even greater blessing is their fullness. Um, verse 15 uh, their rejection means the reconciliation of the world. And then, again, the last stage is, it's like, how much more will their acceptance mean? So rejection means reconciliation of the world, and, and the hope is how much greater will be their acceptance. Um, and then the idea of natural branches broken off, wild shoots grafted in, Natural branches can be grafted back in. Like, you know, uh, again, that three-stage process. Um, to jump ahead to 25 and 26, the hardening of Israel has led to the fullness of Gentiles. And then, uh, you know, verse 26, in this way, all Israel will be saved. Like, so this is the pattern that Paul is hammering uh, in multiple ways in this chapter. Like, um, their rejection... Has, has created fruitfulness and the inclusion of the Gentiles, but it, it also extends the promise of, of the, the fullness of Israel being um, reached as well. So that's, again, this kind of three-step promise um, or process that Paul outlines in this chapter. Um, so Paul is pointing out the role the Gentiles are playing in the ultimate blessing of Israel. Now, so Paul is speaking about future hope for Israel in this section. So why does he specifically address Gentiles? You know, in, in verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. So, so what's the point? Like, so this whole section is about the future hope for the Jews. So why is this something that the Gentiles 
need to be pointedly single <laughs> singled out. Like why 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 do they need to know? Yeah, Teresa. So he's going to use the, the allegory of grafting or the image of, of grafting to explain this principle. Like, and, and what he's establishing there is that the roots are, are, the roots are God's promises to the patriarchs. The, the roots are Jewish. <laughs> um, that you know, the, the promises you know, are all flowing through the patriarchs. And it's, it's only through these Jewish roots that, that Gentiles have been grafted in. And it's, um, there's, there's probably way too much ink and trees killed needlessly, um, criticizing Paul's poor understanding of horticulture here. Because normally you actually do the opposite, like you graft the good branch into a bad tree and the, the good branch you know, changes the nature of the tree. Paul, Paul's not, he's using the, the He's not trying to teach horticulture here. He's trying to use this as an illustration. It's through the life, the roots, that life comes. It's through the roots that the promises to the patriarchs, that the Messiah has come through these roots and this trunk. And, um, and yes, branches were, were broken off, but they were broken off so that, that Gentiles could be, um, could be grafted in. So, so part of the message is don't forget that don't forget the Jewish roots of these promises. Yeah, you, and it's a warning. Like it's, he's, he's, and this is why I think he's especially um, addressing the Gentiles here. Because again, this idea that um, you know, they might think that their inclusion um, comes um, um, alongside the exclusion of the Jews. And so, like, and like, you know, pat themselves on the back and sort of like, yay, we're, you know, you know we're the good guys now. And, and, and turn the focus, like, inward and, like, you know, create the same sort of, um, well, you know, you know, it, it's because I'm so lovable. And, and he's like, no, when you put yourself in that situation, you're putting yourself in the same situation where people are assuming God's love rather than seeking it. <laughs> um, that they've become too comfortable um, and are, are stopped, you know, cease responding in faith. Um, and, and, you know, once you cease responding in faith, like the promises are, are null and void. You're doing the same thing the Jews did. Rather than respond to God in faith, they're responding from a presumption um, of ethnic heritage or a presumption that they have the law and prophets. And so therefore, because we have the writings, um, 
you know, the, the promises are us. And like we saw back in chapter two, Paul's like, no. <laughs> it's not outward circumcision that, that makes one a Jew. It's a circumcision of the heart. It's, it's not outward actions that makes one a, a member of God's kingdom, but it's God's gracious um, act of mercy towards you that you're responding to in faith. Um, and, and this drives away pride. Like the only pride you can have in this is, is to be proud and boast in the gospel. Self-boasting is completely ruled out and eliminated in Paul's, like Paul hates <laughs> any idea of self-boasting. Um, if there's any boasting to be done, if there's anything you can be proud of, it's, it's a pride in um, the glory of God, to go back to what Chris said earlier, like it's it's a boasting in the glories of God's mercy. Yeah, Charles. You're absolutely right. And again, we're in the same danger, Paul wants to remind us, of, of falling into the same trap that the Jews of Paul's day were falling into. A trust in self-righteousness. Um, a belief that I deserve this. Uh, I've earned this. That I'm entitled to this. Um, and just as that position um, has has kept the Jews from responding to God's grace. So that position could cut Gentiles off from the promises of God. And, and the emphasis is, like, you, you stand fast through faith. You don't stand fast by um, some intrinsic worthiness, uh, you know, in yourself. It's, you know, salvation is a matter of God's grace. And both Jew and Gentile are both saved because they've been grafted into the saving promises of God fulfilled through Jesus Christ. They've been grafted in. It's by God's um, doing the grafting that leads to deliverance. It's not some kind of natural inheritance. Um, uh, and again, the grafting idea, like the only thing I know about grafting is from my brother-in-law who grows orange trees. Um, and in interest, he grows navel orange trees. You can't grow a navel orange tree. Did y'all know that? I didn't know that, Tori. Like, so navel oranges are produced by grafting navel orange branches onto an existing orange tree, and that's how you create navel orange trees. Isn't that weird? Um, and and but but here the idea is opposite. Like you, you know, we're created, we're made something. Um, that are, are grafted in. And it's more like the way Jesus uses this grafting image, like a dead branch being grafted onto a living vine, and it's the, the living vine that restores life to, to the dead branch. And, and it's that idea. It's through our connection um, to, to, to God, through the promises he's made that have been fulfilled in Christ, that life comes. Um, and the hope here is for eternal life. Yeah, Mike, you saw your hand. So, uh, interesting. This, uh, this 
Yeah, and, and one thing to, to, to build on that, um, what Mike's saying is, it's, it's not just establishing the basis for missions to, to specifically do, it's, it's then establish the basis of missions. Like, you know, Paul is saying, he identifies himself. I'm an apostle, he sent one. Who's he going to? His desire is to see his people saved, but where's he going? To the Gentiles. Like, you know, and it's, it's again, the idea by proclaiming the gospel to everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, that, like, they're not separate destinies, um, I guess is, is what he's emphasizing here, that their destinies are connected. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's a mystery, like, as he's, we'll talk about next week in verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come on, like, so it's by proclaiming the gospel fully to Gentiles is the hope, the hope of Israel rests in that, like, so they're, they're connected destinies. Um, and, and we should be proclaiming the, the gospels to Jews, we should be proclaiming the gospels to, to, to Gentiles, both those who've never heard it before and, you know, the state we're in now is we're proclaiming the gospel to places that once were identified by the gospel but are no longer identified by the gospel and we're going back and preaching again. Like, it's, um, that should be our constant, um, uh, our constant purpose is to do what we saw last week. How will they call on him in whom they've not, in, in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Like, it's the, you know, he's establishing missions <laughs> um, to Jew and Gentile alike um, because their, their destinies are, are intertwined as part of one people of God, as part of many branches grafted into one tree. And, and it's reminding us because we might see a branch on the ground that we perceive as dead and that will never bear fruit and I'm not going to waste my time on that group of people um, or that person or, you know, well, um, like we often say, New England, it's really stony ground up here. Like, you know, this used to be the, the region of the nation that was identified as being the most Christian. Um, and we've had a a massive hardening um, in our local culture and society. And we can't, oh well, you know, they, uh, communities that were once grafted in have been cut off because of their lack of faith and let's move on. And he's saying, no, look, preach the gospel. <laughs> we, you leave the grafting to, it's not our job to graft. <laughs> um, our job is to, to preach and, and to leave the, the fruit, to go back to what Rob was saying, um, you know, leave the fruit to God's uh, electing purposes. And that's the, the beauty that he's getting, getting to in this passage, that it's, and, and what leads to this great, um, you know, Chris already, there are no spoilers in the Bible, because <laughs> we, we've read it, hopefully. Um, but, but, you know, the, the spoiler next week, like, you know, um, or not next week, two weeks. Sorry, I'll explain that in a second. Um, but the, the spoiler, you know, is praise. Like, you know, um, it, it's one of the most beautiful 
expressions of, of, of you know, just breaking out into simultaneous, you know, <laughs> you can't hold it in, like doxologist just excludes from them um, as he thinks, not on the Jews or on the Gentiles, but thinks on God's mercy, you know, what God is doing and how, um, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. This, this idea of um, to this people first and then their rejection brings it to this people, but this people's acceptance might bring the rejected people back in. That might not be the way <laughs> we had planned it, but that's the way God is, is, has, has, is you know, driving redemptive history through this mechanism. And our call is to participate in that by you know, proclaiming that gospel broadly. Um, all right, well, that's a good note to end on. So just a note, um, uh, so next week we'll, we'll actually be taking a pause. Um, I'm participating in um, uh, Presbyterian Commission, particularizing a new church, um, Seven Hills Presbyterian Church of Somerville, Massachusetts next week. Um, so I won't be here, but we are going to have a class reminding on And the topic is? So that's what we'll, we'll be taking a pause next week. Um, so I, when I originally planned this out, I was hoping that we would get through 11 today, but we had a snow day, so I'm a week behind where I thought I would be at this point in the semester. Um, so I'm sorry to leave you hanging mid-chapter, um, but we'll come back in two weeks and, uh, again, you know, see why and how Paul comes to this beautiful um, eruption of praise at the end of what many people often describe, 9 through 11, as being you know, a really tough section of the book of Romans. And, and Paul, as we've seen, really sees it as an integral part of his overall message. Like, it's, you know, this is how we understand what those, those theme verses in chapter 1 mean. What does it mean to be, to have a righteousness that comes through faith? And it means that uh, and what does it mean for that righteousness to come to Jew and Gentile alike? And that's what he's been doing in these sections. All right, let's close in prayer. Grace God, we do thank you um, for your mercy. Um, as, as we think um, back to chapter 9 and the question um, of, of fairness, um, is it fair uh, for you to, um, to save some and not all? Um, our real question uh, should be, Lord, why did you save me? Um, because that's the astounding thing. Um, once we realize the depth 
of our sinfulness and our deserving of judgment, uh, we see that we are branches fit for nothing um, but the fire. Um, but in your um, sovereign love um, and in your um, gracious and merciful purposes, you have taken uh, dead branches and you have um, grafted us in um, to this uh, beautiful message of, of, the, of the promises that you gave to the patriarchs and that find their fullness of an expression and the coming of Jesus Christ and all that he's done uh, for his people. Um, and it's through our union with Christ that, um, that we have life. And rather for us to, to, um, to express arrogance or pride that we're grafted in and, um, and boast over uh, branches that might have been cut off, um, our desire should be to, to see those branches too grafted in because we know that we have no, um, we have no connection um, to these promises that you made to, to Abraham and to, to Isaac and to Israel, uh, except that you have um, grafted us in to your people, that um, you've made us part of Israel, uh, of a true spiritual Israel. And rather than um, boast of our inclusion um, and think it's to the exclusion of others, our desire to, should see your gospel uh, spread uh, broadly um, because we know that uh, you can um, turn the hardest uh, heart uh, to living flesh and that you can bring and breathe life into dead uh, things and people. Uh, and so uh, we pray that uh, the dry bones um, of once flourishing faith communities that we might see around us, that you would, would breathe life in them once again. Um, because we know the power of life comes not through us or our doing, but comes through your life-giving spirit um, and bringing us to our life-giving Savior, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.